Living the Word today. So, every time we open this book, it is a fresh opportunity for God to talk to us. Let's make sure, let's make very sure that we are listening to what He wants to say to us. LivingTheWordToday.com Look, the message of the Bible does indeed prepare us for eternity, but it also prepares us for the day we are currently living. Welcome to Living the Word Today. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is not only to understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. So I know it also hits you cold. Like, where are we going to go with a, with a book like this? And uh, we want to just think about in terms of that. If you want to bring up that first slide there, because I want you to see that subtitle, Learning to Live by Faith. That's the point of the book. That's the experience of the book of the prophet Habakkuk. And we're just going to get, get started today. But you and I know we need to live by faith. Now, you are either there or you have recently been there where I can pretty well assure you that some point in the future you will be there. And that there is being at a place where you do not understand why God has done something, allowed something, or not done something. That moment in life where whatever God is doing or not doing is according to our thoughts about what he may or may not be doing seems to make no sense whatsoever. This does not seem right. This does not seem fair. This does not seem logical. It does not seem sensical. It does not seem something that I would ever expect. Have you been there? Are you there? hate to give you the bad news, but probably you're going to be there at some point in life if you haven't been. I think this is pretty well universal. So Habakkuk goes through this struggle from his fears to faith, from all of the crisis around him to an absolute certainty of faith in the Lord Jesus, in the God of the Old Testament, obviously, picture in the Lord Jesus. So let's walk along with Habakkuk for a few weeks, and let's see if we can also go on this same journey so we might land at a place where we will learn to be living by faith. And one of the reasons that we use that living by faith phrase is because uh, of all the things that we find in Habakkuk, if you have your Bible open, you might want to look at chapter 2 and verse 4, where we see these words, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. That phrase, the just shall live by faith, is repeated three times in the New Testament. In the book of Romans in 117, the Apostle Paul talks about the just, the people who are right with God through faith in Christ. The just shall live by faith. In Galatians chapter 311, that same phrase is repeated also by the Apostle Paul. And here he's emphasizing the just shall live by their faith. Also in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10 and verse 38, it appears again by whoever the writer of Hebrews was, unknown for sure to us. But there he uses that phrase with the emphasis, the just shall live by faith. So all three of those expressions from this lone little verse in Habakkuk find New Testament expression as we've turned the page over into the New Testament. So it becomes pretty obvious that God wants you and I to be living by faith, to be people who live by faith. So let's just jump into the book if we can. And we'll begin with verse 1. It says, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Now, a few preliminaries. First of all, you can call him Habakkuk. You can call him Habakkuk or whatever you want to say. 
actually whatever name you want to call him, it will be wrong, okay? Because in Hebrew, it's this CH sound that's kind of a guttural sound that we don't really make in English, so we English speakers would say it wrong anyway. It would be something like Habakkuk. I've always thought, you can imagine if you were, you know, of course we imply English into this. Did you have a boy? Habakkuk. You know, it might not be the great thing you want to say. So I'm going to stick with Habakkuk, which is my preferred way, and that's the best we can do in English. But the word itself, by the way, you find this often in Scripture. Someone's name shows up in the narrative. God designs it this way so that the name says something about what is going on. It reveals something about the truth. Habakkuk's name means to embrace. And it's not an embrace necessarily of a hug or someone you're glad to see and you bring them close to yourself. This is an embrace like grappling, like wrestling. And really the name could be translated one who wrestles, one who's struggling, one who's got a grip and, and trying to get an advantage and some maintain their own balance in a struggle. And that name very fits, fits very well into this book because he is struggling with what he sees. What I'm seeing does not make sense. And he takes it to God and you'll see that played out in the rest of the, of the Bible. Now, his name does not appear anywhere else in the scripture, so everything we know about him comes from chapter 1, verse 1, and the dialogue we see later on. There's three chapters in the book. The first two is a dialogue between himself and God. We get an eavesdrop on, in, in on this conversation, and the great thing is we not only hear what he has to say, but we have, through the providence, providence of God, we hear what it is that God says back to him. The first two chapters are dialogue. Then chapter 3, and if you look at it, if you've got your Bible available, you just got to flip over to chapter 3, it, it's really a psalm. It's a song, if you will. And there's some thought that probably Habakkuk was a temple musician, and there were those that were in the court of David and Solomon on that were the professional musicians that, that led in worship and such as that. Maybe he was a hymn writer, songwriter, so something along that line. So we know nothing else from Scripture. There's lots of legends about various things he supposedly did, but that's all extra-biblical, so we don't put a lot of uh, weight in them being actual or factual. And then he says this. Oh, wait a minute, one more, one more thing before we leave verse 1. It says, the burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. Now, depending on what translation you have, you might see a word in there like the vision or the burden or the oracle. Basically, that's a technical term that means this is a prophetic statement given by God to a prophet. He probably received it in a vision. Maybe he heard it in an audible voice. We don't know. But this burden, this oracle, this message was divinely given by God to him and it's to get delivered to us. There's one more thing that's unique about Habakkuk. And you know the last 12 books of the Old Testament are what we call the minor prophets. And they're not called minor prophets because they're of less importance to the other prophets. They're just shorter books than the big books of like Isaiah and Ezekiel and so forth. So these short books are kind of packaged together in the Minor Prophets. He is number eight of the twelve. And the thing that stands out about him, he's different than the others because it's addressed not to a nation or to a people group. If you go back to Nahum, you go to Zephaniah, you go to Zechariah. It's a message from God to be delivered to those people, to that nation. And usually it is bad news, okay, some kind of destruction or judgment coming. There's nothing stated to, to any nation. He's not to carry this to the Jews, not to carry this... To, as a nation, he's not to carry this to Babylon or any other nation as, a, as an empire, but it's simply his dialogue as he struggles with God. So, enough said background, verse 2. I want to read 2, 3, and 4. If you have your Bible open, do follow along. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, 
and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plunder and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth and the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Does any of that sound familiar? Does any of that sound up to date? Any of that sound like the world you and I live in all these centuries later, 2,600 years after he wrote these words? It sounds very familiar. Why, why, does, it, why does God allow such evil? Why, is, why do we have this horrible thing? Why would someone go in and start shooting up a school? Why do people you know, flood our streets with drugs just to ruin lives for the sake of a monetary profit? Why are people violent? Why are people corrupt? Why are people only looking out for themselves? Why? It sounds exactly like today. But it takes place 2,600 years ago. Now, let me put this in its historical context, and then this will make even more sense. Probably this occurs during the, the reign of Judah, of King Jehoiachin. It's one of those names you've got to slow down and say correctly. This occurs very shortly before the Babylonians take over Judah. Now you remember, there's 12 tribes of Israel. Ten become the northern kingdom of, of Israel. Two, Benjamin and Judah, become the southern kingdom of Judah. After the time of Solomon, it splits into two kingdoms, okay? All the kings of Israel were bad. The kings of Judah, some were good, some were bad. They kind of went up and down. But finally God, because of their dabblance, they're dabbling in idolatry. They're turning their back on God, not obeying Him. Finally He announces through other prophets that there's going to come a kingdom. Now the other 12 tribes were wiped out by the Assyrians. They're gone. So you just have Judah and Benjamin left in the kingdom of Judah. And He says, you're going to be taken captive by this great empire whom we know is ruled over by a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. We're very familiar with him from the book of Daniel. He's going to come in and take over. That invasion begins in 606 B.C. By 586 B.C., and by the way, when you're in B.C., you always remember you have to count down, okay? The closer to the present, the numbers go down. After A.D., the numbers go up after that point. So it's going down. It's counting down to the time of Christ approximately. So in that period of time, the judgment of God comes through the Babylonians. It's just before that falls. Israel is corrupt Things are bad. This one godly prophet says in verse 1, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? It seems to him like God is not listening. Where is the answer? The end of the verse gives you the first clue about what he's really struggling with. Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. I'm in danger. I'm threatened. My life is in danger. And you don't seem to step into that situation. By the way, the word violence in Hebrew is the word Hamas. If you know anything about recent Israel history, that word Hamas is the name attached to a terrorist group that's been attacking the state of Israel. So it means violence. It means destruction. He says, I'm crying out, Lord. I'm crying out for you to save me, to rescue me. You're the God. And he thinks about his Old Testament history. This is the God who took him through the Red Sea and, and delivered him from all the strife in Egypt. The God who saved him again and again. The God who rose up David from being the shepherd of his father's sheep to being the great glorious king. The promises that were given through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The covenant that was given to David. All those things are on the book. And, and now I'm crying out for help and I'm hearing silence. I'm hearing nothing back from you. 
Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. It's a very dangerous situation. And I think you and I understand that we live in a world where maybe we feel safe in our homes and safe on the streets, but, but because of the, the situation around us, probably most of us feel just a little more unease than we did maybe in years gone by. Maybe we take a few extra precautions that we would never have dreamed of in previous times. So we live in that world. So I want to share with you three things to help us understand the truth, and then we'll get to the real idea at the end, okay? Because there's a summary thing I want you to understand, which is going to set the tone for the rest of the book. We're just going to look at these first four verses today, and then we'll plunge ahead, Lord willing, next week. you got to remember this. Keep this in mind in the background. Even when we're wrestling with God, and it seems as if that, that nothing is, is being heard by God. Number one, God hears more than we tend to give him credit for. I'm crying out, I'm not getting a response. Just because we're not getting a response does not ever mean that God does not hear. God's ears are open to the cries of his people. God hears, he understands, message delivered, it arrived. He checks his, his, his messages as they come in. And also God knows everything because God knows everything. God is omniscient, he's everywhere present. He certainly hears our prayers. But what happens is when we don't get the response immediately or we don't get the response that we expect, we can fall, fall into this, why? Lord, where are you? How long? I, how long is this going to last? I look around, and, these are the people of promise. These are the people of God. These are the people who, who believe in you. Yes, they've grown corrupt and all that, but, but Lord, you need to bring them back to yourself. We, I want you to correct the evildoers and let the righteous people flourish. We might say it this way, we want the bad guys to lose, we want the good guys to win. That's kind of what he's thinking. You and I have that way of thinking as well. And sometimes, Lord, why does it seem like all the bad guys are winning and all the good guys are struggling? Why is it that way? Just understand, God hears more than we give him credit for. Remember this, we'll come back to justice in just a moment. Justice delayed does not mean justice denied. Also, there's a bigger plan going on than we would ever know about in this time frame, in this world we're living in. God's up to something, and you'll see as he starts unpacking it in verses 5 and following, as we look at next week, he begins to unpack it. And I'll give you just a hint. Look at verse 5. Look among the nations and watch. Why aren't you helping me? Look among the nations and watch. There's a bigger plan out here. Yes, I hear your prayer, but there's something bigger going on than you can fully appreciate. Be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. In other words, this is just going to absolutely blow the circuit breakers in your brain when you get to this point. It's not about violence. It's not about you being protected. God is able to save and protect us, but there's a bigger thing going on. Verse 6 gives us the hint, and then we'll stop with 6 and get back to 1 through 4. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans. Chaldeans, just another word for Babylonians, okay? Use those words interchangeably. They're synonyms, okay? A bitter and nasty nation, hasty nation, excuse me, other well, nasty too, hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They're terrible and dreadful and so on it goes. Here's what I'm going to do, by the way. This is what leads to his second question. I know this is a spoiler but you can read ahead in the book of Habakkuk if you want to, so I'm not, not, not worried about the surprise. But he says, Lord, help us out. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring these people come in, and they're going to destroy you, and they're more wicked than you are. And then Habakkuk's left with, that makes less sense than the sense I was trying to figure out to begin with. So we'll look at this struggle, and he wrestles with God through it. 
But just remember this. He's not always ignoring us when he delays. Sometimes he's preparing us and preparing things for a bigger outcome. I asked someone earlier this week, I said, just think this through with me. If God gave us everything we want, would we have any reason to live by faith? Would we have any reason to extend trust? Or would we just become a bunch of religious spoiled brats wondering where our entitlement is for the next day? There's something about saying wait. There's something about the unexpected. There's something even about pain. There's something about sorrow. There's something about injustice. Yes, all those things are things we would tend to avoid. But can we trust God not because of them? But can we trust God in spite of them? By the way, that's not the end of faith. That's the beginning of faith. When life does not meet my rose-collared glasses view of how it should be, then that's where I have to say, Lord, you're up to something bigger. And Habakkuk is going to find out something is much bigger afoot than what he ever knew. So God hears more than we give him credit for. Number two, we often see less than we give ourselves credit for. Verse two, why do you show me iniquity? Look what he's seeing. I see iniquity. And cause me to see trouble for plundering and violence are before me. Everywhere I look, bad, 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 bad. All the way, 360 degrees, everything I see is bad. Violence, people stealing, plundering. People just, just steal from you. People extort you. People will embezzle from you. Uh, he says, and what caused, and, and caused me to see this trouble. I see it. I, I recognize it. And notice the last phrase of verse 3. It's interesting. There is strife and contention. Last word, verse 3, arises. The contention, the problems are rising. If you put this on a graph, on a chart, it's getting worse. I don't know about you. I don't know about your sensibilities. I don't know about your emotional reaction to the world in which we're living in currently. But I do know this. It seems like everything that should be up is going down and everything that's down is going up. It's getting worse, it seems like. But regardless of what we perceive, we are always seeing less than the full picture. All I see is bad. It looks like everything is just falling apart. <coughs> Excuse me. Everything is, is, is just, just becoming bad all around. Well, maybe it is. But there's some things that you don't see that are in play. First of all, one of the things we need to see, and... I was reading yesterday in 1 Peter, the end of 1 Peter, where Peter writes, God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then the next verse is that verse we love to say, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. It's interesting that he, we can cast our cares on him because he cares for us if we are humble and trusting in him. There's a connection between our approach to God and that, that seal. Sometimes we just think, God's going to care for you. Well, yeah, technically, yes. But if we just kind of, you know, kind of extract a verse out and don't get it in its context, but it's that, it's, it's that humility. That humility to believe that we are not the center of the universe. <clears throat> All the kids are away, and I know we have some mothers here, and we have some grandmothers here, grandfathers. So I, I love children, I really do. But if you want to find raw human selfishness, just find your nearest three-year-old and watch them for a while. Now, if you're a good parent, you're, you're, you're steering them away from that. But you just know that in, inherent in them is a three-year-old thinks they rule the world. And everything needs to be on their timetable and everything needs to be at, to their expectation. By the way, 
It doesn't go away when you turn four. It doesn't go away when you turn 24. And I don't need to go on up the scale. We still struggle with this, this selfishness. You know, we get up in the morning and it's cloudy and it's raining. Oh, Lord, why'd you give me such a dreary day? You ever think what you'd have if it never rained? We'd all die. That's what happens if it never rained. We'd all just die of thirst if it never rained. You know, but we, we, we do it by what we want and how we want it to be. So this humility to say, Lord, I don't see the big picture that you're, what you're doing. And we'll find out as we get in later into this, this chapter and throughout the book that he doesn't see. By the way, here's another spoiler. I'm just going to give it away. Chapter 3, he gets to that place where he, it's one of the most, toward the end of the chapter, one of the most magnificent statements of confidence and faith and trust in God you'll find anywhere else in Scripture. Why? Because he knew that he didn't see everything. Number three, justice is a bigger issue than we give it credit for. Therefore, justice is powerless, verse 4, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. Can't find any justice. Can't find anything. The rights are never wrong. Right, wrongs are never righted. Feels like that, doesn't it? Did you ever notice? When it's us facing judgment, it's a different thing. James Dobson, who started to focus on the family ministry, told a story. His father was a pastor, pastoring a little country church. There was a young man in church. The kids were in there, and he was dropping. This kid was dropping hymn books on the floor and making all kind of just, just really disrupting things. And and you know he was trying to preach and go on with the service. Finally, the, the little boy's father just picks him up and throws him over his shoulder. So he's going down the aisle out of the church with the boy looking back at the congregation. Of course, you couldn't you, you couldn't ignore it, right? So everybody's looking. And just as he goes out the door, the little boy looks back at the congregation and says, y'all pray for me. He said his dad just pretty much dismissed church at that point. You know, you're not going to go any further than that. But that's us. We're, we're the ones getting judgment, and we would say, oh, y'all pray for me. Help me, Lord, mercy. So we're not real good at applying this justice. But the really to remember this, even though we don't necessarily want judgment for ourselves and justice for ourselves, just, justice delayed is not justice denied. You can read ahead in the rest of the book and you see how it all how it flows out. But uh, understand that there's a bigger issue than we give it credit for. And God's going to bring everything to an ultimate conclusion. Now, let me give you this idea. I want you to just, just pack this away, all right? Here's the beginning point of us learning to live by faith. Yeah, we, you know, God hears more than we give him credit for. We see less than we give ourselves credit for. Justice is a bigger issue than we give it credit for. But here's what we need to do. It's not what we see. It's not what we hear. It's not what we think God hears. It's not what God does or what God doesn't do from our perception. If we're going to learn to live by faith, we must invest in who God is, what God can do, and what God has promised. Who God is, what he can do, and what he's promised. May we just have hearts that are like a, the, the needle on a compass that always points due north. May our hearts always point back to what God, who God is. He's a God of grace, a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of patience. What God's able to do, he's able to judge the wicked. He's able to preserve the righteous. And what has he promised for us? Maybe your struggle this morning is a struggle whether you can trust him to be your savior or not. Maybe you struggle with that. Maybe I, Can I really trust God to save my soul? Think with me of uh, two men that were in the camp of Israel in Goshen the day before the night of the Passover. Let's call them Sam and Dave, okay? That sounds like good Jewish names, right? So Sam says, you ready for the Passover? He said, God's going to do something big tonight. 
And Dave says, well, I'm really scared. Well, what are you scared about? Well, there's going to be the death of all the firstborn. And Sam says, well, didn't you have the blood of the, the lamb and you put it on both sides of the door and over the lintel? Yes. Are you ready to eat the, the Passover with your family? Yes. You got your stuff packed up? Yes, I've done all that, but I'm still nervous. Is it really going to work? And Sam says, of course it's going to work. It's given by the, the, by the voice of God's servant Moses directly from God himself. He promised he would deliver his people. And Dave's saying, I don't know. It's going to be a long, difficult night. Now, when the day dawns the next day, which one of them had lost a son? Neither. Absolutely neither. It's not a question about how much I can invest, you know, intensity of faith. It's invested in who God is and what God can do and what God has promised. It's not whether I struggle, it's whether I, I think about this or not in the right way, whether I understand it all or not, or whether I'm just a person of just confident faith. We can have a weak faith, but if it's in a worthy object, the worthiness of God, it works. It was through the blood of the Lamb that the firstborn was preserved all those years ago. And this can be true for you. As the songwriter wrote, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. If you're here and you've never put your faith in him and you're struggling with that, Pastor Tim, I'm going to ask Pastor Adam to be at the front as well. There's going to be right up here. They could love to talk to you, pray with you, and help you step across that step of faith. As we learn to live by faith, it starts with faith in Jesus Christ being your Savior. It's only through the blood of the Lamb. Believers, I'll take you back to that statement one more time. And we, I feel like we've just kind of started and we're slamming on the brakes. But we must invest in who God is, what God can do, and what He's promised us. That's the starting point of living. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you will not miss a single episode. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.